God is good all the time. All All right. Thank you for being here this morning. And uh, I have um, just one special guest I want to introduce here today. She is in attendance for the very first time. I believe her name is Emmeline Carell. She's, oops, is she gone? Diaper change. Her big moment is... Okay, well, she's here, and we're glad. All right, today is uh, Father's Day. It's a day set aside to honor fathers and grandfathers and father figures and all of that. It's not a holy day, but it is a national holiday. And I suppose it's been celebrated in some form for about a century. Supposedly, a woman named Sonora Dodd was listening to a Mother's Day sermon back in 1909, and she remembered her father, who became a single parent when her mother passed in childbirth, giving birth to child number six in their family. Her father went on and raised those six children alone in the wilderness of uh, eastern Washington state, and because of her feelings about whatever, about her father and about how there needs to be a Father Day, Father's Day, eventually, in 1966, President Johnson signed, uh, made it an official holiday. So um, that's how we got Father's Day. Even though it's not a, a, a holy day, it's still God's will that we honor our fathers. It's the fifth commandment of the ten. The first time we read of this is in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, when Moses brings the, the commandments off of Mount Sinai. There in Exodus 20 and 12, it says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord your God is giving you. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, what is it, Deuteronomy 5? Maybe it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, no, 5. The command is repeated again just 40 years later as children of Israel are getting ready, getting ready to go into the promised land. And this is in preparation for, uh, for them to remind them of the, of the laws which God has given And so here it is repeated again, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you. He commanded them 40 years earlier that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. And then this command is important enough and basic enough that it is included in our New Testaments. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, you'll find this commandment and the promise repeated. Starting at verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And then here is the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so there's the, uh, the scriptural basis for our, our lesson this morning and for us uh, taking some time to honor our fathers here today. If you had a good father, then honoring a good father is not going to be any kind of a problem. Most of us here had uh, good fathers. I had a great father. Uh, I know many of you did too. And so there's a lot of great fathers. I mean, as I look out over this crowd, I, I see a lot of great fathers uh, in our congregation. I see you in action. I, the fact that you are here, the fact that you have brought your children with you, the fact that you are, are staying with their mother and, and everyone's living in the same house and being kind to one another and trying to, trying to live by, by the teachings of Christ. Those are all things that kind of go along with being a a great father. But what if your father uh, was violent 
or abusive or addicted or simply uh, absent? How do you honor that kind of a father? Honoring that kind of a father would be tough. But I believe that God wants us to do it anyway. And there's three reasons why we should. First of all, it's not too hard to figure this out. It is a command. It's not optional. It's not conditional. It's not honor your father if he's a really great guy and has no faults. It's a command, and it's not optional. It's not conditional. It's a command of God. And furthermore, there's a promise and a blessing attached to it that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There's something in it for you. And I think most, most people would say, yeah, I, I, would, I want that promise. I want that blessing in my life. And so that's the second reason why we should honor our fathers. There's something in it for us. And those things are right there in the Scripture. It's not very hard to figure that, that kind of stuff out. But there's a third reason, and that's, kind of, that's what I really want to talk about here this morning. Um, we need to honor our fathers, even though they may not be worthy of honor, because it's part of breaking the cycle of having had a very poor father and you becoming the right kind of father for your son and your daughter and starting a new kind of cycle for them be a better father and a better parent than what you had. Now, this sermon is not original. I got it from a good friend of mine who was raised in a home of a toxic father. The first two reasons, as I said, are not hard to see. It's right there in the text. We don't have any problem at all. But the third reason was something that I had never considered. And I'm going to tell you what I learned and from whom and the circumstances around it. And this is going to take a little while. It's probably going to take me 15 minutes to tell you this story, but think of this as an extra-long illustration, okay? Just think of it in that way, because this story contains some things that I think are very important to us if we're going to understand the commandment God has given us. Here's the story. On Wednesday or Thursday of the first week in May, back in the year 2000, I got a phone call from my good friend Gary. His father had been killed that morning in his home by Gary's adult sister who lived with his father. The sister had a long history of psychiatric problems, and there was something going on in that house that caused her to take a gun out and shoot her father in the head. Gary was totally bewildered by what had happened. He was living a couple hundred miles away in northern Michigan. They were down in the Detroit area. That's where his home was. His father and his sister lived there. Gary called us. He was totally bewildered. His sister was in jail. His father's body was at the morgue, and they were doing an autopsy on him. The homicide detectives were in the house that he had lived in, and the TV was full of the news about what had happened there in Hazel Park, Michigan. I knew his dad and his sister and most of the rest of his family. And to tell you the truth, I wasn't surprised and I wasn't shocked. Gary was uh, calling us to tell us he wanted us to know. And he asked uh, both me and my wife if we could come there and somehow help out with the funeral. It was a difficult funeral to do. His father had confessed Christ about 10 or 12 years before and had made some drastic changes in his life at that time. But he had fallen back into his old ways uh, in a few years. And eventually, uh, Gary's mother left him 
left him and that adult daughter with the psychiatric problems at that house. There were a lot of problems in this family, and most of them stem from the father's problem with alcohol. The other part of the equation was a mother who turned a blind eye to what was happening in her home. But the father was what you would call a weekend alcoholic. He held down a job. He worked, uh, he got in his 35 years at General Motors. He never, never missed a day because of alcohol. He held down a job. He retired from General Motors, had a good retirement. And through the week, he was not a bad fella at all. You would enjoy him. Even have, there were even some good times in that family it was, if it was Monday through Friday. But uh, Friday evening through Sunday afternoon was probably, uh, was awful. The family lived in dread uh, of the weekend. It was a kind of a Jekyll Hyde. He was a kind of a Jekyll Hyde kind of person. There was the, and the Jekyll side was that he was physically violent and abusive toward his wife and his six children. And his family lived in dread of the weekends because they knew it was time for Dr. Jekyll to come out. Just describing this family in a general sort of way, in this family there had already been suicide. There were uh, severe depression with several of the kids. There was alcohol and drug abuse, not only with the father, but also with the children. There was a lot of violence. There was a, uh, psychiatric disorders, one that had been diagnosed and others that weren't. Um, there had been a divorce uh, in the main family and then divorces that followed. And now there was a murder to add to the list. And there were some problems in that family I, I won't even mention here because they're too nasty to talk about. It was a dysfunctional family, and the root of it was going back to a problem with drugs and alcohol with his father and a, the violence and abuse that came when he got in that condition. So the funeral comes up. Uh, we go up to uh, Detroit area. The funeral comes on a Monday. And there was something completely and totally amazing that happened at this funeral. Gary's... Uh, Brothers and sisters absolutely, totally, completely despised the man that was being buried. They hated him. Gary was the only one that really even had any feelings for him at all and that would talk with him occasionally. And Gary told us the night before the, the funeral what he wanted to do to honor his father. He was the only member of the family that was going to say anything of a positive nature about him. And he told us, he said, you know, he wasn't all evil. There were some bright spots that I remember. And there was one in particular that he wanted to talk about, and that was music. When Gary was about uh, 10 or 12 years old, his dad had bought him a Martin guitar. If you know anything about guitars, a Martin guitar is a, that's a prize possession. An acoustic guitar, Martin. And he taught Gary how to play it, he taught Gary about singing and everything. And Gary had become quite a great musician, much better than his father had ever been. And at the funeral, what Gary told us, he said, I, I want to sing three songs at my dad's funeral as a tribute to him. He said, the one first song I want to sing and play is the, one, is the first song that my dad taught me. And then he said, then I want to sing and play my dad's favorite song. And then I want to sing and play a song in honor of my heavenly father.
Now, I don't know how in the world he did this. I couldn't believe that he could keep it together uh, to actually do what, what he did because uh, I was having trouble holding it together and I wasn't even related to the man. It was, there was a lot of emotion there, a lot of things going on. But Gary, at that funeral, Gary was able to get up there and to talk and to pull out his Martin guitar. And he sang the first song that his dad ever taught him. And he talked to the people as he did this. Gary told us later uh, why he did this. And here's what he said. He said, uh, honoring, a father, honoring father and mother is a command. It's not optional. And it's not conditional. I see that one. And he said, I want the promise that goes along with the command. I want that blessing. And here's the third one. This is one that I never thought about. He said, part of turning my life around is for me to forgive my father, to honor him the best I can, because that is what I want my son to do for me. And I have to do it for my father. I want to show him how to do it. So, what Gary was doing was resetting the defaults on his program. You know, and when I say default, if you if you fiddle around with computers, you know, in, in the software uh, in computers, there are certain default settings, and the default settings are basically this: if you don't make a conscious effort to change something or set it the way you want it. The machine, the software, already has a lot of settings in it that will allow you to go ahead and just do whatever, but it will do it according to what someone else, somewhere else, has set it up for whatever. And so just for instance, uh, in a word processing program, Microsoft Word, there's settings for a margin. And the default setting is one inch at the top and one inch at the bottom and one inch on each side. Now, if you want to, you can go into the program and you can find a menu where you can change that to a half inch all the way around, or you can change them to three inches all the way around, or you can change them however you want them. But if you don't go in there and you don't make the changes, you end up with a one-inch uh, margin all the way around. So, and the same is true, the size of the type and, and the kind of, uh, uh, kind of typeface and all that you're going to have, the script that's going to be uh, showing up on the page. So Gary was going in and resetting the defaults on his program, his personal program. Do you know what the default setting on a human being is? I can tell you what the default setting for almost every human being on the planet is. It's to be and do whatever you have seen and experienced in the family in which you were raised. That's the default setting for every human being. That will affect your marriage. That will affect how you treat women. That will affect how you treat men. That will affect how you, how you raise your kids. That will affect how you work. It will affect virtually every aspect of your life. Your default settings are given to you by the family in which you were raised. And so some, some of your parents, uh, I mean, if you think of it that way, some of your parents maybe don't realize what you're doing, but you are creating the default settings on your kids right now. Now, later on, they're going to figure it out that they can go in. They know where, they'll figure out where the menu is, and they may, they'll make some changes. And they probably need to, and they will want to. And that's what Gary had to do. Gary was finding the default settings in his life. The default setting for Gary was to be a toxic father and husband. 
There was no way around it. But back in 1984, you know, all this has happened in the year 2000. But back in 1984, Gary had begun to reset the defaults of his life. He was 28 years old. He was mostly unemployed. He was in a, a drug and alcohol stupor most of, his, most of the time, depressed and suicidal, violent. Gary was one of those guys that clear out a bar. I mean, I mean, clear it out. There's such a rage inside of him, and that was the same rage that was in his father. Um, and he was going nowhere. And he spent a lot of days laying on his couch, just kind of zonked out uh, you know, with the drugs. Gary told us, he said, you know, I get so lonely. He said, I'd go out to the park with my guitar, and I'd just sit there, and I'd, I'd start playing, hoping somebody would come up and talk with me. Anybody. And he said, that's, he said, that was my way of having some human contact. It was semi-normal. He said, I'd just go out and play and hope someone would come up and talk with me. So he was just following the default settings of his home life up to the time he was 28. But in 1984, uh, Gary became a Christian. And the way he became a Christian is kind of unique, I think. He was converted because he became a member of a rock band. Okay, now that's not the normal path for someone to become Christian. That's the normal path for someone to become not a Christian. <laughs> but what happened was um, at the Royal Oak Church of Christ, there were about four or five uh, younger people that decided they wanted to get together. They were musicians and singers. Hey, let's have a band. And so they made themselves a little band called the Attic Band. And uh, they were all Christians. And they needed one more, one more guy who could play guitar and one more good voice. And one of the guys knew Gary because he had worked with him in a tool and die shop and knew that he was a pretty good musician, very good musician. And he talked to the other band members. He said, hey, can, uh, would it be okay uh, if I invited this guy over? Let's just kind of see how he works out. And uh, Gary was anxious to come. He brought his guitar and he sang, and he, and he, ha he has a great voice. He's a, he's a great musician. But he was, uh, through that little uh, thing with the band, he became a Christian he chose a new path for himself. No one in his family had ever gone down this particular path. It was a whole new thing for him. And he realized that if he didn't choose something different, he was going to end up being his father. So he became a Christian. He began to deliberately choose a different life. He began a long, painful process of resetting the defaults that his family had given him. Now, it's been 31 years since he began that process. And Gary is married now to a woman named Sandy about 25 years ago. Has a, has a fine young son named Nathaniel. Nathaniel came along 21 years ago. That's, of course, Gary's on the right. Nathaniel's there in the middle and Sandy's on the left. That's Gary. Nathaniel means uh, gift of God. And uh, Gary began to wonder if God would ever allow him to have a child. And God gave him Nathaniel. And so Nathaniel is uh, 21 years old and he's had a very different life than what Gary did. Because Gary deliberately and consciously was changing the defaults on what it meant to be a father and a husband. And uh, even at the time that... Uh, 
Nathaniel was born and all along through Nathaniel's life, Gary continued to struggle with changing those uh, defaults. In 1998, uh, Nathaniel would have been about three or four years old and we'd gone up to Michigan to visit with them. And as we went in the back door uh, in their house, we saw the, uh, their little car parked there. And as I went by, I saw that the windshield was cracked. Now, that's no big deal. I mean, the windshields get cracked. Went on in the house, and we saw Gary's hand in a cast. And, uh, and then we found out what happened. Something had come up in the house between him and Sandy that brought back explosive rage in him. I mean, and this was, uh, this was part of the settings his dad had given him. Something to do with uh, him and, and Sandy. And horror of horrors, he had felt the urge to, uh, to, act, to just bust her. Instead, he ran out of the house toward his car, and he hit the windshield, and he broke it with his hand. Now, I don't know if you've ever hit a windshield or not. You'd be lucky to break a windshield with a hammer. But he hit it hard enough that he broke, he cracked that windshield, and he, he broke his hand at the same time. Now, you might think that's uh, a terrible thing uh, to happen, but let me just, uh, just add this. He's also the preacher at the church there. You don't want to monkey around with this guy, okay? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'm serious. That's Gary. That's the little church there in Michigan where, where he is. He's the one on the, on the right, uh, to the right there in the white shirt with his hand up. Uh, he's been there, what, uh, probably about uh, 25 years, something like that now, uh, working with that congregation. But that was the preacher at the church. That's who Gary is. And you, may, you might say, well, that's a horrible thing for a preacher to get that mad and run out there and hit the windshield of his car, bust his hand, crack the windshield and all this. But as far as Gary was concerned, that was a major victory. It was a major victory because he had managed to hit an object and not the people that he loved. On that same visit, uh, when Gary, he was there with his broken hand, uh, Serena happened to be uh, in part of the house where there was a little desk, and she found a stack of note cards that had been written by Gary. And on each of these cards was a sentence that Gary wanted to say to Nathaniel. Nathaniel would have been three at this point. They were all affirmations, things that he had never heard his father say to him, and things he wanted to be sure to say to Nathaniel. And so on, on, after every affirmation... There was a list of check marks and dates indicating when he had last said those words to his son. Gary was deliberately changing the default settings of his life. He wanted to be something different than what his dad had been to him. The Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother. And I know that's no problem for most of us. But it is very difficult for some people in Ephesians 6 and 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. I know it's difficult for some, but you do it anyway because it's a command. It's not optional. And because we want the promise, we want the blessing that comes along with it. And because for some of us, well, it would be true for all of us. Part of it is resetting the defaults on our life. I know that the defaults put into most of our lives are not 
all that bad. Some pretty good stuff has been given to a lot of uh, young men here. But I, there's some fine-tuning that probably needs to be done, and you know what it was, and you look back, and, and you figure it out. And if you take the time to go into the menu and to begin to change those things and consciously make those changes and keep making them and keep making them and keep making them, they become you. What is it that a father really wants from his children on Father's Day? Well, you know, I did a web search some time ago on Father's Day, and almost all the websites that came up with wonderful gifts you could buy for your wonderful dad, okay? So I was, I was nosing around in hammocks.com. That was one place I was looking. And, of course, there's all kinds of tools and NASCAR stuff and uh, Looney Tunes ties and Jerry Garcia ties. And you can name a star for your dad if you want to. Or you can buy a square inch of Scotland and have it. That would be his little piece of Scotland, Okay. If you want to do it. And, uh, of course, you can always buy a, a, a package of golf balls or whatever, whatever sport it is your dad gets involved in. And all those things are nice. But you want to know what fathers really want? I, and I'm not talking about Christian fathers in particular, but I, I think almost every father in the country, Christian or not, what they really want is for their, their son or their daughter raised in their house to be a better person, a better man, a better woman than he has been. To figure out what was good and keep that. And to figure out what was weak and defective and uh, damaging. And to reach in and change the settings of their lives and do better. And if your father is a Christian, here's what he really wants. He wants that every son or daughter raised in under his roof would confess Christ and be faithful to him. There's nothing you could do that would honor a father more or please him more than for you to become a child of God and to be faithful to the Lord. There's no greater joy in life than to have a son or a daughter who is faithful to the Lord. And there's no greater sorrow in life than to pass from this life without having seen your son or daughter become a child of God. What does your heavenly father want for Father's Day? I mean, it is Father's Day. What do you think he wants? Oh, he wants you. He wants all of you, lock, stock, and barrel. He wants you, the good and the bad and the ugly. He wants you, all of you. He wants the warts and all. He wants you to accept his invitation to be his son or his daughter and so in 1 John 3 and 1, it's this beautiful verse. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished. Some of the translations use the word lavish there. What manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That's what God wants for every person in this room, that we would become his children. And as we close this service, uh, we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. And if you would like to make that happen today, to finally give yourself, to become a part of the family of God. This is the day. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Simply come to the front, ready to confess your faith in Christ, ready to give the rest of your life to him, to resetting the defaults according to his plan, and then to be baptized in the name of Christ. Let's stand and sing if you need that.